So today on the podcast, we have Ben Kerr in very inspirational podcast. He talks about his story of overcoming adversity through some health challenges. He talks about uh, his story of becoming a three-time state champion and actually making a patch and putting that on his jacket before he had done it. He talks a lot about breaking through glass ceilings and limits, but Ben's been able to build an incredible real estate empire. He is so versatile in what he's done. He started in flipping, but he's done everything from hotels to motels, Airbnbs, VRBOs, multifamily storage units. And so I love Ben because half of it is very inspirational for me and half of it is everything that he has going on in his real estate side. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Ben, what's up, man? Welcome. We're here, brother. Stoked, stoked. stoked to have you because we were talking before, but I've just heard so much good from a close friend of mine. He's always telling me about Ben. Ben's so freaking awesome. And he's always trying to get me to get my boy into wrestling. And I've always wanted to get my boy into wrestling, not because of wrestling, but because of what wrestling would teach him. And I love all the principles behind it. So, How old's your boy? He is 10 right now. Has he jumped into wrestling yet? No, we, we're doing basketball. So that's our thing is like he loves that. So we yeah. go, we hit the church in the morning and do drills and stuff. And I don't care if he plays or not. I just want him to learn hard work and yep. the process, right? Absolutely. So I want him to see based off the inputs that he puts in, the outputs he'll get. And I just think you can take that with you the rest of life. Mm. Yep. Amen. So tell, tell us about you, man. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. Uh, born here in Pleasant Grove, actually, believe it or not. Uh, okay. About a year later, my parents moved up to Centerville. It's right next to Farmington, right next to Lagoon. And I was raised there, man. Centerville Junior High, Viewmont High School, graduated there. And then uh, took off to Oklahoma, wrestled there for a year, went on a mission, came back, transferred to Utah Valley University, and graduated here in 2011, and freaking love it. Love Sweet. it out here, live in Pleasant Grove, and I, Utah's beautiful. Yeah, so if you're if you're my age, like mid-30s, then and you went to UVU, then you saw posters of Ben everywhere. I mean, you could, <laughs> you could have missed Ben back in the day. You were just slaying it on the wrestling front. So you were telling me before we started, too, what did you say? Three Three-time state champ, five-time national champ? Growing up, I was a three-time state champ and uh, undefeated in junior high in, in high school. was yeah. my high school's first three-time state champ. Went out, out to nationals five-time and then was recruited. I got was really lucky, got recruited all over the country. Decided to go to Oklahoma. We took third in the country. Got, got a surgery, had to rest, went on a mission, and wanted to go back there. And God said, no, you're not doing it. Took me back to Utah Valley. Didn't want to come out here for some different reasons. I gave up two years of eligibility. Okay. But God's like, this is your place. So I came here, gave up some eligibility, and then went and competed and went to Utah Valley and became their first ever All-American. And um, I'm glad I did, man. Met my beautiful wife there. She ran track, and uh, she wasn't freaking fast enough because I caught her. Wrestled <laughs> her down. She said yes. <laughs> And uh, we set our home here in Pleasant Grove and cool. just love it. Awesome, man. Let, let's talk about wrestling. How did you get into wrestling and why did you get into wrestling? You want to know what? Um, so when I was young, I was, I was told that uh, I couldn't wrestle first and foremost. I was 
born with Cruzon syndrome, which is a craniofacial anomaly. The the doctors would say, hey, parents, your, your boy is like, he's born different, so save your money. Like, he's going to have tons of surgeries. But save your money not just for that, but fa- save your money for his therapists and psychologists and stuff like that because he's going to need help here and physically. Yeah. And so uh, my parents, like after all these surgeries, they'd cut my head open. I mean, they're just, it was, it was huge 12, 14 hour surgeries, right? How old were you during all these? Uh, one years old was my first surgery, five years old. It was through the growth stages, right? Your face grows, you gotta get, I'd have a massive underbite. When I was younger, I could put two fingers in my mouth, bite down and not touch my fingers. Wow. It would affect the way I eat, the way I'd, the way I'd sleep, the way I'd breathe, definitely the way I'd look. And, uh, and so you asked me the question, how did I start wrestling? Yeah. I'll give you that background because I wasn't wrestling when I was like in kindergarten, first grade. But I went to my brother's tournament, just a couple years older than me, to Little Vikings at the high school. Okay. And I sat there and I couldn't wrestle because I was just healing from these surgeries, right? They would, they would wire my mouth shut. My favorite foods were like liquid macaroni and cheese and pizza, liquid. Mm. Like it was horrible. But that's wow. what I had to, to take down, right? Because I couldn't chew. And uh, long story short, I'm at this tournament at Viewmont High School, not wrestling, but I'm freaking like competitive. So I'm sitting there watching my brother wrestle. I'm watching all these other kids wrestle, and they're about my size. The award ceremony comes out, and they're giving medals away. And I just get ticked off that I don't have a medal. I cried so hard and so long and was throwing such a tantrum that I didn't get a medal because I couldn't wrestle that the coach of the high school came over and put a medal on me just to freaking shut me up. (laughs) And so I went home with a medal that day. How old were you? I was probably five or six. Okay. But I went home with a medal. We have pictures of it today. It was just this little dinky penny-sized medal. But I held it up like I was the proudest man in the world. And um, doctors told me at a young age I couldn't do contact sports. And I, I said, freaking watch me. You, know, you want to know what? You want to tell me what to do? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and I'm yeah. going to do it. So I was able to do that. My parents were incredible cuddlers, but not incredible coddlers. So they took the, they took the bubble wrap off me mm-hmm. when the doctors said, no, you can't do it. And I freaking did it. And so there's going to be a lot of people in life that are going to tell you Tell your people, tell your family, now you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do that. You say, yeah, freaking watch me, you know? And you go out, put the work in, you do it. So when did you start playing contact sports for the first time? How old were you? So shortly after that, shortly after that, my parents... Yeah, so my parents saw me that day, and they're like, we're either going to let him freaking live... Yeah. Or, like, he's going to live in this bubble of depression his whole life. Yeah, it almost seems like it's harder to probably keep somebody in that bubble. But I don't want to say that to take away from your parents, because when you were describing everything just barely, immediately I'm like, man, I respect your parents. Because most people, like, I I really believe in the hand up versus the handout. Mm. Handouts, I think, are, they're going to hurt more than they help, right? It's going to enable. And so I wonder where your parents got that from just to have the courage to be like, we're no, we're going to go for this. 
So I'll give you an example. I begged my parents for five years to play football. <laughs> Can you imagine having your boy okay. come to you with for a freaking scar years. on his head yeah. that just got cut open, took part of his hip to put in his face, and say, yo, let me play football. Bobby and Billy and Tommy at school are playing football. Let me play. They're like, yeah. we just paid thousands of dollars Tens and tens of thousands of dollars to freaking put you under the knife, and now you're going to go bash your heads into yeah, other people? Yeah, that's scary. Like, it sounds like you had a relentless determination, but that still probably took some courage on their part, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it totally did, because they're, like, they're for my safety. Yeah. But at the end of the day, my why is freedom. Yeah, 100%. In life and finances. That's what we're going to talk about today. But at the end of the day... You can't freaking hold me down. That's why I loved wrestling. Yeah. Try to hold me down, dude. I'll poke you in the eyes. I'll freaking bite you. I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to get out. Right? So you started when you're like seven or eight. Were you playing other sports too? Every sport under the sun, I played them. Okay. You asked me what my favorite sport was that season. It was that sport. Okay. So you were doing everything. Everything. At what point did one emerge where you're like, I think I'm going to really go hard and try and accomplish like... Look, obviously, like state champion. That it pro- at least sports nowadays. I see like with my boy, the the if you're doing like the really competitive leagues, those overlap some of the other leagues, right? Totally. Eventually, like the roads narrow, and you have to kind of pick one or two. Yep. Did that happen to you? Absolutely. When, so when before I got into high school, up till ninth grade, my high school started in tenth grade. That's not usual everywhere in the country, right? Yeah. So in in ninth grade. During my football season, wrestling season, uh, soccer season, baseball season, basketball season, whatever sport I played, that was awesome. But it got to the point that I was like, I'm about to get into high school. If I want to be the very best at this, yeah, the very best, yeah, I get a focus. I dropped every sport and I wrestled. Sweet. I was built for it. I liked it. I was competitive in it. And I like the team aspect, but I like the individual aspect. It's like gymnastics. It's like swimming. You have both. Yeah. So I, I didn't feel like I had someone holding me back. And it was like, I have me and the other dude. And the other dude tries to step in my way. I'm going to take him out. Because before I even stepped on the mat, I knew I was going to win. You want me to give you a story? Yeah. There was never a high school three-time state champion at Vumont. I won my sophomore year, went undefeated. Before my junior year, like, I look back at the story, dude, and I'm like, I had the freaking biggest balls. <laughs> I couldn't, I can't believe it. You may have to edit that out. And so check this out, man. Do you know what a Letterman's jacket is? Yeah. Like, I was still prepubescent, I swear, but somehow I was that big of a man. My parents, before my junior year, come to me. No, during my junior year. Wrestling starts in about November. October, they come to me like, Ben, we're giving you an early Christmas present. It's going to be a big party of Christmas because it's really expensive. I said, okay. They said, we're going to give you a Letterman's jacket. What do you want in your Letterman's jacket? Everyone who's watching here knows what, what a Letterman's jacket is, or that you should. And they know you put patches on it, right? Mm-hmm. So I put a patch of the Utah State championship of 103 pounds the year before they said what else you want i'm like i want the logo here my last name here and whatever year i think i'm going to graduate right (laughs) 
And then they said, well, you got one more shoulder. What do you want to put on there? I said, put 3X on there. And they're like, what's 3X? So what was my goal? To be a three-time state champion. And where I wrote everywhere, on my shoes, on my locker, if I would have got a tattoo, I would have had a tattoo right here in my neck. 3X SC, three-time state champion. And I had a belief that Conor McGregor says, if anybody's a UFC fan, you know the man Conor McGregor. And he says that you can believe something, but the moment that you speak it is the moment you have, like, true belief in it. And if you put it out there, you start to get on the crazy level. But the crazy level of, like, you can be legendary. I get the jacket. I had one state one time. And I put a 3X on my shoulder and walked around freaking school. That year, I lost in region. No way. I lost to a dude I beat. I come back the next day. And the question was, was I going to wear that jacket? I'm like, I'm going to freaking wear it. Was I going <laughs> to claim victim or victor? I'm like, I'm going to be a freaking victor. I put the jacket back on. I walked back out, and so many people in school said, how are you going to rip that jacket? What are you going to do with those numbers? You're going to take it down to 1X? You're going to take it down to 2X? And the people who said it, you're going to take it down to 2X, I already won. Because yeah. I had only won once. I kept wearing it that year between my junior and between my um, between region and state. There was about two week difference when everyone else was having lunch, when everyone else was in the assemblies, when everyone else was doing different stuff. I was found in the freaking wrestling room doing extra because I wasn't going to lose. And I went and won and I went and, and I went on to win state three times. We had never won my senior year ever as a team. We'd never claimed a state title. But you've also heard the story, man. You've also heard the story of a sub four minute mile, right? Yeah. Do you know that? Yeah. What did the doctors say? They said it was physically impossible. Yeah. They said a human could never, can never, can never run a sub four minute mile. They didn't know who freaking Usain Bolt was, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, a person did it. And then what happened after that? I was just actually reading about this the other day that I think it was like between 20 and 30 other people did it in the first 60 days afterwards. It was like someone said it was okay. Yeah. This happens in every industry in the world. Someone says, oh, yeah, you say I can't do it? Freaking watch me. And then it shattered. The glass ceiling shattered. All of a sudden, you can reach above it. We won state my senior year. For the next seven, for the next ten years, with less talent, we won seven times. And then somewhere along the way, the talent stopped working. And it hasn't been the same since. So here's mm-hmm. the moral of the story. People are going to tell you you can't do it. You say, freaking watch me. Break the glass ceiling and watch who follows. It's going to happen in your industry. It happens in Empower. It happens across the world in everything. Someone said, you can't sell 300. You can't sell X, X, X. And you're like, oh, yeah? Freaking watch me. And then it's a new standard, right? Yeah. It's a new earmark. It's a new record. 
And we just have to decide, are we the freaking crazy ones that actually believe it? And are we willing to put it on our freaking shoulders? Imagine my junior year, having won state once, stepping on the scale, and these guys being like, this guy's freaking crazy. And then being like, yeah, you want to freaking be normal? Jump in the robot club. You don't mm -hmm. get remembered for being normal. Yeah, that's such a good point. I'm curious then. So, you, you, I mean, that's incredible. Three-time state champion. Then you finish high school, though. Then what? So I go to Oklahoma University. It was the best fit for me. Our team was good. We took third in the country that year. And, uh, and then I had to get a surgery. Okay. I had to get another surgery. I actually was supposed to get it when I was 16 years old. <laughs> I told the doctors, screw it. I'm not getting a surgery. So I went through all of high school having like a massive underbite. And uh, affected the way I looked. But I'm like, I'm not taking any years off. And I yeah. knew I was going to serve a mission for my church. Okay. And so I knew that was my period of healing. So I pushed my way through high school, not having surgeries, had my had a major, major surgery, and uh, went on a mission, healed, and then God told me I, I, uh, I should go to Utah Valley. And uh, it was for a lot of reasons. I didn't want to come, but it was the best fit. Now, looking back, and, and it was awesome. We were able to do the same thing here, and then set, uh, set some things that happened. I'll, I'll give what you What do you mean the same thing? What does that mean? So people couldn't tell you, you can't, like, I was one of the singlet of Oklahoma. We took third in the country. Utah Valley was a brand new program. We went from junior college to division one, the biggest jump in history. It's called the provisional status. That's seven years where you couldn't go to postseason athletics. I show up and five of my years of eligibility, I had to have two of them taken away. I'd, I could only go to the nationals twice. I was one of the best guys in the country. And I go to a school that takes away my eligibility because we were having that status. Long story short, I go in my senior year, never won that. I never, like, there was no All-Americans. It was a brand new program. I'm wearing this dinky green suit, right, from Utah Valley. Like, who's Utah Valley? And everyone from Iowa and, and Oklahoma and these schools that recruited me, Minnesota and Oklahoma, we're all there. And... Uh, like, dude, you chose to go to Utah Valley. I'm like, yeah, well, God to chose me to go here, and I'm, I'm going to do it, right? I'll never forget, dude. Um, I'm in the middle of Philadelphia, ranked zero. Ranked zero. The night before weigh-ins, we're right in the middle of Philadelphia, and my drill partner is Avery Gardner. He says, Ben, we need to get a run in. You got to lose weight. I said, let's freaking go. And we go to the stairs where Rocky Balboa ran in the movie, turned around, looked over Philadelphia and says, Adrian, right? As we get to the steps, there's the Rocky statue. If you've been there, it's iconic. And it's him with his gloves in the air. Avery says, dude, this is the place where he ran the steps. I'm like, I know, this is rad. I said, you got your phone on you? He's like, I always got my phone on me. So he pulls out his pocket, his phone, and he's like a singer, right? He's a musician. And he pulls his phone, he's like, dude, run the steps. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And he pulls up the phone, and it's on YouTube. You can look it up. And it's me running the steps, and he's like, like the Rocky theme song, yeah. right? Yeah. 
And as I run the steps in my mind, unranked in the country, going into the biggest tournament in, I think it's the biggest tournament in the world for wrestling, Division One NCAAs. We call it the real March Madness. You know what I'm saying? This basketball, I mean, I like basketball too. <laughs> but we call it the real March Madness, M-A-T, right? And as I'm running up the steps and Avery's filming this, I run to the top and turn around and I'm like, you know what? The rankings say I can't do it. Freaking watch me. The next day, going to the tournament, upset the number ranked four guy in the country who was undefeated, went on to beat a dude who I'd never beat before from Minnesota who ended up being a four-time All-American and then ended up being the first All-American in U of U history. They had the singlet put up there. Here's the point of the story. There's going to be so many times where you're going to be unranked. You're going to be the underdog. And it's based on us to know if we're going to freaking do it. The times I've won the biggest is when I've known, before I've stepped on the scale, before I've laced up my shoes, before I've stepped on the mat, that I was going to win, hands down. I had already won. I just had to put in the work now because I won here. Right? Yeah. In the industry of knocking doors, before you freaking step on the pavement, you win. But you win here. Where did you learn that? Because when you go to yeah. wrestling practice, you develop the physical ability, right? And along the way, you're learning our, all these good principles, work hard and sacrifice and just good life principles. But how did you develop your mindset? Because oftentimes that's more important than the physical ability. It absolutely is because the mental ability pushes you to get the physical achievements, right? Yeah. I mean, you step on a bench press, and if you're mentally weak, it doesn't matter who you freaking are. You're not going to move the weight, right? Yeah. Um, There's one time I was hanging out with my buddy. We're playing Nintendo downstairs. Mom comes to the top of the stairs and said, hey, I need to help. I need to have you come to the store with us. And this is this moment changed my life, and this is how I created this to answer your question. We go to the store. Uh, she says, I'll give you some chocolate if you come help me fill up my fill up my grocery carts. Yeah. And uh, we do it. Um, we're getting ready to check out. And I grab my chocolate. I'm sitting there. Long line before automatic checkout and all this stuff. There's this dad and these little kids in front of me. And the dad looked at me in front of the whole line of about 50 people. It was like rush hour traffic. And he pointed to his kids and he said, I can't believe this kid goes out in public. Look how ugly he is. Um, I can't believe he even has any friends. Wow. And as I sat there, I wondered what would happen and how I'd react to that. And I wished myself out of that situation. And then before he left, he grabbed his kids, put them behind him. He said, hey, but don't, don't go near him. Don't even freaking touch him because he's probably contagious. And I don't want you to have that. Let's freaking go. Let's get out of here. And the next moment is what changed my life. Not that moment. That put me in the position to be ready to have a change. I ran home. Well, I went home. Ran How old were you real quick? Probably five or six. Okay. I was young. Okay. And um, uh, young elementary. Maybe a little older than that. Young elementary. And uh, I went my 
<clears throat> I ran in the house. My friend's mom dropped me off. Ran in the house. Went in the bathroom. Melted against the wall. My mom comes in and she she heard what happened. I told her what happened. We just cried together. And this is this is what started molding me to become that. She told me to stand up, and I I was like three foot something, right? <laughs> she's like, stand up in front of the mirror, and I stand up in front of the mirror, and she's uh. She then at that moment said, "Look in the mirror. Have you ever seen Cool Runnings?" Yeah. You know how they're in the bar against totally. the Canadians? Yeah. <laughs> and, and he says, come in the bathroom. Yeah. And he pulls him in the bathroom. He's like, who do you see? Who yeah. do you see? It was like that same thing. But my mom um, had me look in the mirror, and we just went through who I was going to be. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know what, Ben? You're going to you look different, so why don't you just freaking make a difference? You're going to already have attention, so why don't you make it worthwhile? Use the attention and take it and run with it. And uh, she didn't want me hugging toilets the rest of my life. Every time something went bad, you know. Mm-hmm. So that was it. It was it was the beginning of realizing who I was and realizing that you know what, um, I'm I'm gonna stop walking down the freaking hallways of the school and wishing that I was Billy and Bobby and Tommy 2.0. Yeah. And that Ben Care was like more than freaking enough. And, and that was it. And I would get in different sports and different uh, opportunities that would give me confidence to be able to put in the work. And I'd just be willing to put in more work than other people. And, and, and it, it would go to pay off. Man, it's, it's incredible to hear about that. I mean, just thinking about me being a parent and if my kid was in that same situation... I would hope that I would know what to say in that moment because it could change a life, you know? Mm. And so it's, I mean, props to your mom, like shout out to your mom right now. Right. Cause she knew what to say in that moment. And that, that was a pretty big moment. Yeah. That's so cool. That was a really cool story. And thanks for sharing that. And then it sounds like you just kind of flipped a switch and then it was like, all right, let's go. Yeah. Well, it was it was many, right? I think yeah. quantity gives us quality. So it's a daily routine. I mean, daily I have the opportunity to be a victor or a victim. Yeah. And so you do. I do. Yeah. We all do. We show up. And you know what's fun? You have a kid 10 yeah, years old. Four, yeah, four kids. Tell me, tell me their ages. 10, 8, 4, and 1. Ah! What multiple stages, man. Totally. It's so fun, man. I love it. I have three kids. Three, okay. three, and two. And uh, they came quick. I adopted all of them. Tried to have kids for a long time. It's a whole nother story. Long story short, you know what's the most beautiful thing that I'm learning right now? What? It's, it's, it's brutal and it's beautiful. You and I, just like my mom did in that moment, we create our kids' reality. Everyone who's listening right now, they have the opportunity. If they have a child... If they have employees, if they have certain, you know, people around them, we create what their reality is, even more so with kids, though, because they're with us all the time. And they only know what, what they see. We create their limitations. We create their opportunities. We create what reality is for them. If you get up and you go and work out, if you show up how you eat, how you live, how you are with faith, family, fitness, and finance. Yeah. That is what they see to be real. 
The fact is, I get to show up every day for my kids and my wife, and I create what they can do mm-hmm. because they only will know that as being normal. Yeah. I love what you said. I think about this book called How Will You Measure Your Life? It was written by Clayton Christensen, who taught at Harvard for many years. I actually got to meet him before he passed away too. Stud, stud guy. And in that book, he talks about there's this moment where his kids are grown up and they have kids now. And they set up this time where they all go on this date and they're hanging out at the house, whatever. And so Clayton and his wife are talking you know, with the kids about like, what do you guys remember from your childhood and, and what did you take away? And all the moments that he thought him and his wife, all their teaching moments where they got together and let's really teach him this. The kids didn't remember any of those. Mm. The kids remembered something totally different. And what they remembered was what they saw. They remembered these random times where we remember this one time when dad, you know, helped the family out and gave them this, or this one time when dad did this, or you guys did this. And they're like, we don't even remember one of those, but they remembered what they saw and not what they heard. And so I love it when, you know, the saying like, does the audio match the visual? Mm. Are you doing what you say you're going to do? Right. And so I think for any leader that could be a leader of a family in a parental role, that could be a leader on a team leader in any company position, a a church, religious setting, whatever is, I think you can try as hard as you want about conceptually what you want the team to do or what you're going to teach them through verbal and whatever. Ultimately, I think people just watch and that's what they learn from is what Mm. they see and what they observe, right? Whether you like it or not, that's just reality. So like in our company, we always talk about lead from the front. You can teach them all you want. You can go tell them to do anything. Ultimately, they're going to watch you. And that's what they're going to take from it all, right? Exactly. So I love what you brought up. It's it's the visual. It's it's what they see. So after... Can I give you an example real yeah, quick? go for it. My dad did this, and it changed me. My dad would always sit next to me ever since 2000, way before I went to college. Uh, my dad took our, us and our boys to the NCAA Wrestling March Madness. We've never missed a year for like 23 years wow. now. It's been incredible. That's but good. we would sit in the audience in these stadiums way before I would compete there, and he'd put his finger in my chest during the finals and says, you, you're going to be here. You're going to be on that podium. You're going to be an All-American. And I remember just sitting there. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He had like 100 pounds, right? He told me way before that I could achieve that. Mm. It was about six years ago that him and I were out in the Midwest looking at some property. He's a commercial real estate attorney, right? Okay. And I'm, I'm in this hotel room with him. I just got done showering, and he goes in the bathroom to shower. I'm getting ready, and I hear this voice, and it's like a consistent voice. I'm like, that's weird. My dad's like freaking talking to himself, but like consistently, but it sounds not normal. And so I remember like after like five minutes of it continuing to happen, I walk up by the bathroom door and I listen in, I listen on the door and I'm like, that's a tape recorder or a tape recorder. It's like on his phone, a recording. Mm. What he was saying on his phone, and this is the moment you just mentioned, it was happening. It was the action. It was what I was seeing. It wasn't what he was teaching. It was my experience. 
as I listened on the door, my dad had recorded in his phone, I am so grateful I've bought these properties. Now, he, he hadn't owned those properties. I'm so grateful I'm serving in the Quebec Canada mission. I'm so grateful I've been able to do this, this, and this. And I knew where he was at at that time. He wasn't on a mission. He never served a mission. He didn't have those properties because I knew his portfolio. But he was proclaiming, convincing, devoting himself to what would happen yeah. next month. I'd go fly out to visit him in the Quebec Canada mission. No way. My dad told me two decades ago as he pointed in my chest, you can do this. Two decades later almost, I'm in a hotel with him, and he was doing exactly what he told me to do. And that taught me the world. That's incredible. I love those stories. That Thanks for sharing that. It's so awesome. I see this a lot in our industry. When you've done something like you did and you just learn so much, the visualization, right? These affirmations that your dad were, was doing, um, proving people wrong, winning a championship, it just provides all this momentum. And then you take that momentum and you transition from something that like a physical sport into now business, right? So where did you where did you go first in business? Did right. you jump right into real estate? No, no, I didn't. It was right outside of uh, college. I did exactly what college taught me to do: is uh, working for other people and going to going to corporate and doing that thing. It just wasn't for me. Yeah, I'll never forget in 2014, my dad and my brother called me down to the office. It was an energy company. The uh, the com or the country at that time was getting rid of um, the incentives that we were doing for them. Uh, we were converting vehicles and natural gas. Long story short, it wasn't working. They called me down to the office and said, "Ben, today's your last day." And no severance. There's nothing. I walked outside that day without a job, without a future, and what I do. I remember going to one of my mentors, who was one of the first CEOs of Einstein Bagels. He's like Ben. You have the opportunity to launch and do what you feel like you have passion to most. What do you do in your off time? I'm like, what do you mean you're in my off time? I'm like on task being arrogant about it, right? I remember being in bed, pillow talking with my wife, kissing her goodnight, and then I would turn over, open my phone, and I would just be scrolling the MLS. Mm. And my passion was like, I loved watching Fixer Upper. I loved watching like Fix Flopper, all these shows on 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 HGTV and stuff like that. And I'm like, I want to freaking do this. I didn't have any talent, I didn't have any skill. I can't be the biggest construction guy because it's just not my talent. And so I jumped into real estate after Did that. Did you own any properties at the time? None. None. Wow. And I jumped into it. And uh, number one thing, I hired a coach. And I hired someone to stand by me and teach me. And Did I invested you, in myself. That's sick. I was just talking about that today, actually. Um, with that coach, did you start off in flipping? Um, so the first person that I called or the first person that I went and paid was a guru that would come in and out. Okay. And I just grabbed what I knew. I think a lot of people wait. And they have the uh, analysis to paralysis, right? Yeah, for sure. 
and they're just like, oh, who do I hire? Who do I hire? Oh, there's not the perfect coach. You're never going to get the perfect coach. Or, or with real estate, there's so many different categories. It's like, should I get into flipping? Should I do multifamily? Should I do residential? Should I do commercial? And what I've heard just so many people say is just get in the game. Yeah. Get in the game and start playing, and then you'll figure out what you like. And you'll understand what you want. For yeah. me, I had passion towards. I'm a. I'm a. I'm big in passion when it comes to change. I like to take something, human beings and real estate, and I like to take them from here to here. I like to help them reach full potential, right? And so I love flipping. It was good for me, and I learned some ways to to buy, even though I didn't have my own money, and how to leverage other people's money and opportunities and stuff like that, and started getting into different flips. And uh, two flips a year turned into flipping 40 houses at the same time across the country and it's gone crazy since then so so are you still flipping right now yeah absolutely i i left i i don't do flips so much around the country i learned my lesson flipping 40 at a time i just don't think i was intelligent and growing so fast but uh i flip luxury properties uh mostly around utah and then i invest around the entire country for other things storage unit complexes hotels motels um, sto- um, multifamily stuff like that. So, how does it work with you then? It, do you have a fund that people invest in, or do they just invest with you on projects, or do you raise capital for flipping and give them a return? It's a great return. Um, we do all of the above. It's not so much a, a fund. Okay, we're a little bit more uh, direct than that. I think funds are sometimes more hands off, or uh, it's pretty. It's pretty direct. We run a tight team and people all the time come and invest in what we're doing. It depends on what they want to do. Many people are like, hey, I want a rate of return and I'm good with it. I want it tied against real estate and I know I'm protected. I know I'm going to get a return on my money. Others are like, hey, I want to be an equity partner. And then there's ways to do that as well. So we've had the opportunity, I've had the opportunity to buy stuff all the way around the country from mobile homes to big multi, multi-million dollar hotels that we take down and convert into like Airbnbs, right? Mm. And we have different exit strategies out of each of those. I'm a huge fan and, understand, and a believer that you can buy anything, but you can't always get out of everything the way you want to get out of it. Sure. So I'm a big fan of like, theoretically buying a pizza and like being able to like sell half the pizza, sell it per slice and have like three or four different exit strategies. Exit strategies yeah. What, a, what mostly do you do then? Uh, is there any niche or is it just anything? Like, cause you're talking about hotels, Airbnbs, multifamily, trailer parks, storage units. Yeah. It seems a little sporadic. The way, the way uh, I do it personally is I make a lot of my funds um, my big money's off of my flips, my luxury flips. Okay. There's so many changing part or changing, you know, parts in, in flips. I like to have them underneath my nose, hands down. And then I really like, uh, storage unit complexes. I think it's an easy thing to manage and that's within my family. So that's easy for me to do. Do you hold on to those or do you flip those? Uh, everything's for sale. But I prefer to hold on to them. Okay. I prefer to hold on to them. But if someone comes and offers us the right price, we'll take it, of course. And uh, But recently, um, I, I like niches with seasons. 
I don't believe you can just stick to one thing for a long time. I believe that if you're innovative through times, then you'll make the most amount of money. Let me give you an example of what, something I'm talking about. As soon as uh, storms hit in the east and south coast, right, um, a lot of owners didn't like renting because they were shut down. Hotels, motels, multifamilies. Then they got back up and moving again, and then 2020 hit, and guess what happened? They got hit again. Sure. So what did I see? I saw the moment of opportunity. So I could have stick to flipping, and I could have stick to multifamily, which I've done for a long time. And those were my cores. When I started, I would flip and put the money in multifamily. That's mm -hmm. what I was taught. And then keep flipping. But everybody tells you that. You get into real estate, you flip, you put it into multifamily. You flip, you put it into multifamily. But with movements of markets, you create niches. So what I've done is with the because multifamily realize multifamily has been popular since like the cave times <laughs> how many caves you want to rent out to these you know barbarians it's become different because of the change in technology and if we always stick to what was back in the flintstone ages you'll be that way so what has been changing well airbnb's been changing now there's absolutely opportunity, just like Uber did to taxis. Sure. We compete with hotels. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So now with that niche of 2020 shutting a lot of people down, they're like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm 60 years old. I'm not changing to Airbnb. I'm not changing to VRBO. I'm too old. So I come in, I pick up a property that has the underlying zoning for short-term rentals. Across America, that's the hardest thing to find. If you go into short-term rentals, you'll see that. Yeah. The I've zoning already, changes hard. For sure. So what I do is I buy them. I remarket. I restructure branding. And I take a hotel motel and I do Airbnb with multiple opportunities. I'll give you an example. I bought 43 beach condos in North Carolina. A motel. 31 of those beach condos are deeded separate. I bought the whole pizza per se, 43 pieces. 31 of those I can sell off per slice. Crap hits the fan, market changes, I start selling one off. Boom, 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 boom. I can sell the whole thing. I can sell the whole pizza. I can sell half the pizza and lower my mortgage. I can sell 31 pieces of the pizza and own my 12 unit free and clear. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example of what that means. I bought the property last fall, 2021. 2021, April. I'll give you an example. I just went over my numbers not too long ago for April. This April, I think we may have chatted about this. This April, 2022, I rented, after rebranding, I rented like 53 check-ins less than I did in 2021. 2021, it was a motel. 2022... It's an Airbnb. Even though we rented 53 units less, 53 night check-ins less, which means less work, yeah. we made in 2022 $12,000 more. Wow. So what we've done is we've taken this niche, which I don't think will always be around, and who knows with the, with the economy and what happens, 
but we go in in the right times when people are sick and tired of management and the motel is like a dreary motel. We spiff it up and we take it to Airbnb because it already has the underlying nightly rental as a motel. And we just take it to what it should have been all along. Mm. And we maximize. That's cool. So when you guys are doing Airbnbs, storage, multifamily, whatever, where are you seeing the highest returns? Um, so for an example, I just told you right there, Airbnb, what's the most, what's the hottest, right? Yeah. But as the market changes, um, you change. Again, I'm, I'm not a big fan of being like, all right, I'm going to stick to multifamily, just stay here forever. You can, it's fine. But to make the biggest, biggest return, to pull the most amount of juice out of that orange, you got to learn. Let me give you an example. You're like, what's the biggest return? Well, I'll tell you what I'm doing now. And this is probably the most important. I'll probably answer the question you probably should have asked. What are people doing right now? The market's changing. Rates are going up. I was just on a podcast the other day. They're like, all right, Ben, you flip, you've been flipping for a long time. Are you flipping a lot? If the margins are right, of course. They got to be big margins. Well, then what are you doing? What are you doing with your time and energy and money? I'm like, I'll tell you what I'm doing. I'm buying a property next month in Springville, right on Main Street. It's a dumpy 13-unit motel. You know what I love about it? It's already zoned multifamily. Mm. And it's already zoned nightly rental. And let me say this, sorry. It's already zoned nightly rental, but guess what I can do? I'm going to take that, and I'm going to run it as an Airbnb right on Main Street in Springville. All the all the um, comps show me seventy five percent occupancy. I run my numbers at fifteen percent, super conservative. But guess what? Here's the good thing: rates keep going up. Second COVID hits. Biden says COVID. Everybody shut down. Right? Nobody can travel. Gas keeps going up. People stop flying. What the freak do I do? Because it's an Airbnb. It's a motel. Oh, man, you can't do long-term contracts in a motel. You can't. So do a 28-day contract and renew it mm. every month. Yeah. There's someone, they're doing that right now in, in the unit. There's someone has been there for 20 years. Wow. On a 30-day renewal? Can't do more than 30 days, so they do the 28-day yeah, renewal. Wow. So here's the thing. Can you enter an asset and have multiple exits? I believe, heck yeah, you can. And nothing's perfect, and it, there's always yeah. risk. Yeah. That's just what it is. Nobody can read the crystal ball. But if you can plan five or six different exits, you'll have five different, six different exits to suck, right? And still probably get out of at least one of them, right? So I think it's super important that when you enter, you know how to exit multiple ways. And I'm a huge fan, huge fan in doing my investments that to, to talk about the death and divorce way before you go in. I think a lot of different people that like sell, give me your money, give me your money, give me your money. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you these returns. I'll do this. And you probably won't see your money for a long time, but uh, you're going to get a return. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do that. I would rather be like, yo. This is what we're planning for. This is what can happen. If you die, I die, or we die, this is what's going to happen. 
right? Talk about that stuff first. Talk about yeah. the dark stuff first. And then plan your exit strategies. And if you and I do a partnership, can we live with worst case scenario? And if you can't, you probably shouldn't be investing in that asset. But if you can, and you know the different assets and the different avenues of exit, I think that's important. For sure. So it sounds like it's a deal by deal basis. You're working on some big project and anybody can syndicate with you? Yes. Okay. And then based on the project and the projected returns, it's going to be per project because there's not one niche, right? You're, yep, you're exactly. adjusting with it's the different per seasons. And yep. And I like that better because people can come in. I can come in. You can come in. And if this is a good fit for you or if it's not a good fit, you say no after that and it's done. See the next project. So many people are afraid to get a divorce in a business partner. But it's not that difficult and I learned that in flipping. Let's say I partner with somebody, and I'm like, ah, I don't like to work with them. After one flip, it's done. I just don't do another deal with them, right? We just do deal by deal. Here, you want to invest in this? Yeah. Great. You want to invest in this? Great. You want to invest in this? Great. How many different investors do you think you've worked with, and what amount of money do you think you've raised? Uh, millions, probably since last fall, probably $35 million Okay. Just in the stuff that I've done. Just in my own stuff. That. That's $35 million of your money, or you're saying money that you've raised? Uh, I would say most of that's other people's money. Okay. How many investors do you think that is? I have a lot of big investors right now, Okay. so it's not that many. Okay. What is the smallest check somebody could put in? I've taken checks as low as twenty grand. Mm. right? I've taken checks, but I've also known the individuals. Um. And then obviously I take really big checks. Yeah. Right. I think there's opportunities wherever you're at. If I had 20 grand and I had 30 grand or 40 grand or 50 grand, I would, um, there's so many opportunities you can do. I've been able to buy a mobile home. You don't have to go through a title company. Uh, it's ran off of a VIN number. It's like a, buying a vehicle. You go to the bank, you sign a bill of sale. And you can renovate it and you can flip it, right? There's simple stuff like that. Sure. If you have 20, 15, 30 grand and you can flip it and make whatever type of margins you feel like you can make depending on your purchase. So um, we have opportunities all the time. I'm right now looking at a, a place where it's like 65 units and it's right on the beach, beachfront. There's also a wedding uh, venue and then I, I would also own the pier that makes wow. about half a million bucks a year just on the pier, wow. memberships for fishing. And then the wedding venue, forget it, that's like crazy. If you can imagine being beachfront and then we Airbnb the 65 units. Okay. Um, so we're looking at stuff like that. I'm looking at taking over portfolios of storage units. And um, storage units have lasted for a long time. I already have multifamily, and that's, like, timeless. Um, I do flips, and that's easy for me. I, I understand that well. But right now, there's a niche in that hotel, motel conversion to Airbnb that's really good. Mm. Let me give you another level of exits. I have a good friend that, uh, and I have, a, yeah, I have a good friend that gets these hotels and motels, and they get with these companies that take over and they uh, they say, no matter what happens with your hotel and motel, 
we'll do a contract over everything here and we'll run the Airbnb. So they'll say, well, you have 65 units, great. I'll pay X amount for all units. And then we take the risk from there. And so that's another exit strategy that we're doing. And uh, yeah, just tons of opportunity right now. Awesome. What do you see the market doing over the next 12 to 24 months? Real estate market specifically. So what I'm prepping for is that the rates are going up. Um, I can't read the crystal ball. I don't think we've, I don't think anybody has, has ever been in this situation before, right? Though I don't think the world has been in this situation before. Um, I don't necessarily see the rates uh, plummeting down. And yeah. so I'm prepping accordingly, meaning I'm buying assets that are rentable. Um, meaning like that motel I'm buying that's 13 units. I'm able to rent all of them because as rates go up, less people are able to qualify. So on the rental side, you get better renters and rental rates go up. Go up for sure. And so I'll stay on this side. Yeah. What's, do you have an end game in real estate? Like a certain number of doors you're trying to get to or like what drives you? Yeah, for me, it's not a number. It's uh, it's a maximize. I could have 100 doors. I could have 10 doors. It doesn't matter as long as the number is I, as I'm getting the most orange or juice out of that orange, right? For me, it's a freedom. I do this because I like, I like to see the change. I, I like to uh, see the... To, to buy the asset, I like hunting down the asset. Um, I like designing it, and then I like to see what it is in the end. But more than anything, I like the freedom it gives me in my lifestyle. And uh, everyone out there right now in whatever, in whatever industry they're in, I believe should be looking for time freedom. I think, I think the U.S. got it switched around a little bit to where um, I think we live to work a little bit too much. And I, I, I believe we should be living a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. But, and that's what real estate can bring is, is financial freedom, more freedom, right? Passive income, holding on to those out of your current portfolio that you hold on to. What is it mostly? Is it storage units? Is it multifamily? Is it single family? Is it Airbnb? I don't do any single family. Okay. Uh, if I'm going to own a roof, it's going to have multiple doors underneath it. Um, I'm getting out of multifamily. I have 33 units right now in the Midwest I'm selling. Yeah. And they're great. Actually, uh, we're making a move right now because I bought them like five, six years ago. Um, and I didn't know anything about Airbnb or VRBO back then. And it's like right in the same town that Mark Twain wrote uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn right off the Mississippi. Wow in a fantastic location so i'm in the if i don't sell those right now i've marketed them for sale all 33 at a, almost a 10 cap rate pretty good and if someone takes them and puts them into airbnb they'll freaking kill it hmm. they'll double i think they'll double their why money why wouldn't you just do that then i will i can i can just throw that into a 1031 exchange right now and yeah not pay taxes on it yeah but if nobody buys it i'll do that I've already talked to my property managers. The two biggest things that people don't are, are hesitant towards in buying stuff like that is they don't know about property management and who to hire, and then they don't know about handyman, and I got both. There's a, a guy who used to work for me here in Utah, and he's now managing all my stuff out there, 33 units. Anyways, long story short, I'm getting out of multifamily just because I think the management's a little bit different, 
and either putting it into Airbnb, even though it's a little bit more constant management, it's easy. It should be easier because you're getting a cleaning crew in there more often. Um, and, and then I'm moving towards, um, the storage units because the management side's a lot easier. What cap rates are you seeing in storage right now? Good. We get a great return and it's, I mean, it's how, it's how you buy them. I mean, in the Midwest, I just bought one like about a month ago that was just really good and, uh, we'll get a great return on it. And the, you're able to sell on a cap rate, um, country or a countrywide on a storage unit, you're able to sell on a cap rate of somewhere around even as low as like four, three, and even uh, probably around four or five, I would say. Mm. And, uh, and we're able to get, you know, have them produce. That's awesome. If somebody wanted to invest with you on any of these projects and figure out what ones you're currently looking at, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, social media, Ben Care, K-J-A-R is my last name, K-J-A-R. And uh, they can hit me up on social media. Um, Facebook, Instagram. Facebook, Instagram, either one, okay. or my email. Okay. Uh, it's Ben, K-J-A-R at yahoo.com. And you can put it out there. But Ben Care is how you say it at yahoo.com. And we have properties coming up left and right. And uh, have the opportunity. That I was just like people... It was like not too long ago when I was just getting in. And I love that passion. And uh, if they're interested in having money work for them, because here's the default, you know it. You grab your 10 grand you just made. Let's say you make 100 grand. Yeah. That 100 grand's going into the bank. How much money are you making in the bank right now? What's the return? You're going negative with inflation. Yeah, well, with inflation, you you yeah. can't do very much. But what's the return in the bank? Because that's Point what people are zero, doing. Zero, zero, whatever. Let's say a quarter of a percent. Yeah. Let's just say. Let's be very kind and say half a percent. And that's not usual. Yeah, nobody's making a half percent. Right? But let's say they are. Yeah. Let's just give it a benefit of the doubt. Inflation, it changes often. Let's say in the most recent past, it's been like eight and a half percent. If they keep it in the bank, which is what people are doing, and that's if they're, like, disciplined and they're not spending it on crazy stuff. Yeah, true. Like like true. cars and bikes and boats yeah. and all these crazy things. Then you're still losing, what, 8% based I, upon this scenario. Yeah. 8%. You're losing $8,000 a year. So if you're not making... At least eight and a half percent, which is what inflation is around right now, you're losing money. So the people who are listening, they need to make minimum of eight and a half percent just to keep up with inflation. Yeah, and I, I personally think inflation's a lot higher than that. So you you take any of the big expenses, what's gas done? Gas has gone up a hundred percent. What's housing? Housing's gone up over 30 to 40% in Utah just in the last two years. So when, when the government says 8%, I'm like, inflation's not 8%. It's not. Because let's look at cars, transportation. Let's look at fuel. Let's look at housing. That's a lot more than 8%. We can see it. Anybody can Google those numbers, right? So I think just for your average American out there that's just trying to get by paycheck to paycheck, it's more than 8%. I'll, I'll bet that all day long.
doctrine totally. and everything, you know, maybe, maybe some minor things that you don't spend a lot of money on are less than 8% or 8%, but the big ones, your big monthly expenses, everything's up more than 8%. And so I agree, you got to have your money grown for you. And so that's why I wanted to have you on is it's an incredible opportunity. And what's cool about you is that if somebody wants to get into real estate and they don't know what their niche is, you have a lot of different options. It could be storage units. It could be Airbnb. It could be multifamily. It could be whatever. Right. And that's cool because I think with some of the things I've invested in, it's just like one area of real estate and I want to have exposure into a lot of different things. And the other thing I'll say with that, when there's a lot of wealth that's always created in transitions and we're in a transition right now. Mm. And so you, whatever people have been doing might not be what's working or is going to work over the next couple of years. Cause we're in a transition or is maximizing or is maximizing because like, you could do like just the multifamily. And I don't mean to say just multifamily yeah. is bad, but are we pulling all the juice out of the orange that's being offered for to sure? Us today? Yeah. Like me personally, I think with rates going up, less people are going to buy. We're already seeing that the, the amount of listings that have gone on the market here in Utah have quadrupled in the last 30 days. And so what does that mean? That means more people are going to rent. And I know a lot of people have been cashing out and selling their home over the last year or two. Cause they're like, it's so high. Right. And if they didn't buy, then they're renting. And so what does that mean? That means the demand for rentals is going to go up. So rent price is going to go up and there's always going to be a need for multi-housing. And I think that's why so many people like us are attracted to it. But uh, the Airbnb model is the other thing I really believe in. I've, I've done some of those myself. And also when we travel, we Airbnb, mm. right? Cause I, I want a house, you know, it's, if you're traveling with other families and the kids have friends, usually it can accommodate a bigger amount of people. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I got into it is cause I'm like, we personally like to travel that way. So why don't we try that too? Right. Mm. So yeah, I, um, we'll throw your, your, your social, um, pages up in the podcast notes. And then you said your email, we can throw that in there as well, but thanks for coming on, Ben. It's Absolutely. Nice having you. Yeah.